You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. everybody welcome to massive late fee the official entertainment podcast of michigan sports and entertainment.com i'm mark with me as always is my co-host mike how you doing mike good uh happy belated birthday mark thanks we've uh we've had some technical difficulties here this is the third time we're recording this but hopefully fingers crossed everything will turn out fine we're uh we're kind of growing our empire here a little bit we've got some uh I've got mail that I'm going to, to read later that we got. Uh, we, uh, we're on iTunes now and on Google Play. Uh, I'll link those below. We uh, also are on YouTube, obviously. And we'll be on Spotify soon, as soon as I can get syncing issues with our podcast host worked out. And uh, as soon as that Weisenheimer Tom will let us, we'll be on MySpace Music. That's right. God, MySpace. What did they? They got bought out for like a billion and a half dollars or something like that, and went defunct almost immediately. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you want to reach out to us, uh, as a uh, few people have, you can reach us at massive or massive late fee at gmail dot com. We're on Twitter at massive late fee. We're on Facebook. A massive late fee there, and uh, maybe we'll get an Instagram if we ever decide that we want you to know what we look like. Hey, uh, did you know that you can log into MySpace with your Facebook account now? You can? I, I mean, I didn't even know the website <laughs> yeah. was still available. Yeah, it's still there. I, I don't know why I looked at it. Like, I think someone had like some music on there I was looking at. It's like log in with Facebook. I'm like, oh, that's pure defeat right there. <laughs> you know... <laughs> You know, our competitor that completely destroyed us, use them to log into us. We know you don't have a MySpace. Come on, use Facebook. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. So we have some news today about something that you won't care about at all, which is Avengers 4. Uh, I uh, I had never seen an Avengers movie or a comic book. Well, I'd seen a few here and there, uh, Batman and a couple of the Spider-Man movies, the, some of the real big ones. But I'd never seen any of the MCU movies until I started writing for Michigan Sports and Entertainment. And when I had to do the Black Panther review, I thought for context I should see the rest of them. So I watched, I think it was 18 movies in a week. Uh, My God. Yeah, it was, it was quite an undertaking. But I do enjoy them, even though I've never read any of the comics and was never really a comic person they're entertaining films but uh, that's that's probably why because i find like the the books or comics i like the movies are terrible yeah like because i'm always comparing the two like one of my favorite uh books or comics is the watchman like i love the watchman mm -hmm. but the movie if i hadn't the movie is really style stylishly it's really good it looks a lot like the comic but i mean the movie is just like complete shit compared to the comic. yeah they changed ozymandias a lot um in that story too didn't they not really. I mean, they glossed over all of this stuff. Um, they really, they took everything, like, they basically took all the substance out of the comic. Yeah. I mean, and that's uh, that's kind of like, what is that, Zack Snyder? That's kind of what he does. Yeah. Hack it looks Snyder. really nice, but it says nothing. Hack Snyder. 
Oh, I thought his name was Zach. <laughs> no, it is. But uh, I don't like any of his movies. But um, yeah, yeah, I can't say. I, I saw that. What's that? Um, shit, Spartan, Spartac out the you know the ones with the uh, Spartan. Troy. No, the one with uh, that Gerard Butler guy. Oh, three hundred. Yeah, and that, yeah, that. I mean, first I didn't like the fact that like uh, the uh, Persians were like monsters. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. That's a Frank Miller comic, three hundred that they had, that he adapted. Yeah, so is um, uh, what's that one movie? Sin City. That's a Frank. I, I like Sin City quite a bit, actually. I do too. Um, I like some the second one, not so much. I like some of Frank Miller's work, although I hear he's kind of an asshole. Yeah, I could see that. Like, I from what I've read, he just seems like an unpleasant kind of person. But I mean, he's it's kind of like a you know visionary, doesn't care what anyone else thinks, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I, I think. Like, no, go ahead. I, like I think he's like on the. <laughs> I think he's like on the wrong side of the political spectrum, so he automatically gets like you know called out for being like a monster slash fascist. That's oh, is he? I like. It. Is he? Uh, I don't know anything about his politics. See, I think he's conservative, but I don't think he's like a hard line, like right wing or anything. But it's just like he's not like a liberal. So, I mean, a lot of times, I mean, it just seems to me at least that, you know, they're like, oh, you're not on the correct side of, you know, the political spectrum. Well, especially in Hollywood and, uh, you know, in the entertainment world, I can absolutely see that. But yeah, so uh, Catherine Langford, who was in 13 Reasons Why on Netflix. She's been seen filming, or she's done now, she's wrapped, but she was seen filming a role for Avengers 4, and they, they've been very mum about what it is. And apparently in the Avengers, um, Clinton Barton, who plays Hawkeye, had uh, some kind of protege that became a female Hawkeye, and people were speculating that that's the role she might be playing but according to what i'm reading she's going to be iron man and pepper potts's daughter which indicates that there will be a lot of time travel in this movie because right now they don't have they don't have a child at all um i thought that jeremy renner guy was hawkeye yeah that's the actor's name yeah clinton barton is oh the, the character gotcha yeah i was confused there yeah clint barton's is his real character or is the the character's real name and Hawkeye is uh, is his code name or whatever. Oh, because I thought um, I thought they switched that Jeremy Renner guy out at one point, so I thought maybe they did have a different guy. No, no, no. He's been Hawkeye since the the beginning. But what I'm thinking they might do is they might move his character over to television, and because Disney's having a streaming service that's uh, that's supposed to launch, I think next year or or early the year after early 2020 and um they might move i i feel like it that they might move him to television isn't there like already like a green arrow uh show or is that not on anymore i think that's dc yeah it is but i thought there was like a i, I mean <laughs> there's really room for two shows about guys who shoot arrows <laughs> two uh two archer hero based shows yeah I don't know. That's a tough one. You know, the only thing better than a guy who shoots arrows is a uh, guy with a gun. Right. But I, I love, um, you know, I'd like Hawkeye gets a lot of shit because he doesn't, 
have any powers or anything like that. He just has the the bow and arrow. He's basically just a really good hunter. But um, I, I doesn't like, he? Yeah. Does, doesn't he have the power of being an anachronism? <laughs> but I love in um, I think it's in Age of Ultron. He has the best line in that movie, I think, because uh, Scarlet Witch, who's this witch with magic powers, is uh, she's like freezing up during the final battle and everything. And he's giving her a pep talk and he says, look, there's uh, there's a guy in an iron suit flying around. There are millions of uh, deadly A.I.s. You have magic powers. I've got a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, she might be uh, Pepper Potts and Iron Man's daughter. Could be time travel. Might be a like emotionally weighty scene between her and Robert Downey Jr. before he dies in the movie and uh, and heads off into the the sunset because his his uh, contract is up now. As is uh, uh, Chris Evans, and he's leaving the. Uh, He's leaving the series as well, and I think Robert Downey oh. Jr. is too. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't seen any of these movies. I've seen like a brief part of one. I did not care for it, so uh, I'll take your word. You know what? The you know what is going to be the best is when uh, <laughs> the Infinity War Part Two, whatever they're going to call it, the next Avengers movie comes out, and I make you watch that for this podcast so we can talk about it but not make you watch any of the other movies so you have absolutely no context for anything that's happening. Yeah, I'll just read the uh, Wikipedia description and then go, oh yeah, I remember when Falcon. I'll bet you could do that and fool me. Yeah, probably. So the next bit of news is, uh, speaking of fooling people, I'm, I'm working on my transitions. Uh, Michael Keaton and Seth Rogen are going to be in a movie about John McAfee. Uh, the, oh, no. The creator of um, the McAfee uh, antivirus software. Is it going to be about his uh, rise to the kingdom of uh, antiviral software? No, it, and the funny thing is, is I didn't know this story. Yeah, I, I, I know where you're going with this, but uh, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, so he, he basically went insane at a certain point. Yeah, and that—that's the thing. Like, I didn't—I didn't hear. For some reason, this completely eluded me, and I didn't hear anything about this story. But this movie sounds fascinating. So, uh, Michael Keaton is going to play John McAfee, and Seth Rogen is going to play the journalist uh, who worked for Wired, who went to interview him and got caught up in this stuff he was doing. And for people that don't know, McAfee, who created the antivirus software basically went completely batshit insane, took hundreds of millions of dollars, went to the the jungle in Belize, and basically built a Captain Kurtz-style compound with uh, drugs and guns and a bunch of... uh, like exotic dancers that he had around and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I think he was making and consuming his own bath salts. Yeah, it, it like the story sounds absolutely insane, but it sounds like it has the the potential to be a really good entertaining movie. 
Yeah, you don't really have to embellish much. I mean, like, and the Joe Rogan guy listened to, and just the stories coming out at the time, they're just like insane. Yeah, and I like Michael Keaton a lot as an actor, and I think that Seth Rogen can be, like, I saw him in the Steve Jobs movie as uh, Wozniak. He was very good in that. I think when he puts his mind to it, that he can be a very good dramatic actor. Yeah, I thought he was good on uh, Freaks and Geeks. Um, I haven't really seen him in any dramatic roles since then. I mean, I don't know if he's played any, but I, I didn't see that. Steve was that the Steve Jobs movie with uh, with Michael Fassbender, or was it the one with the Ashton Kutcher? Oh, yeah, Michael Fassbender. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't see it, but I, he was he was good on Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, I loved Freaks and Geeks. That's one of my uh, my favorite shows of all time. That only lasted one season. He was one of the freaks. That's right. <laughs> him and uh, him and his uh, man, his man crush or or bromance uh, partner. Uh, I was stalling for his name, but I still can't. James Franco. Him. Yeah, James Franco. That's right. But yeah, I love I love that show too. And actually, bringing it back to uh, to the MCU, the girl who plays you know the main the main character on that the sister of the you know the the two main characters are the brother and sister basically linda linda cartellini yeah she's she plays hawkeye's wife in uh the uh, mcu movies that's funny because i don't think this is technically part of that like universe but um james franco was actually in the uh the spider-man movies as the green goblin yeah that's right yeah he was in the spider-man I thought those. Uh, I saw three of those. I thought they were okay. Like the second one was pretty good. I like that. The second like, one's uh, probably my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, there were some parts like when they had like the cameras and the tentacles. I was like really kind of creepy. Like that was like classic Sam, Sam Raimi. But the third one was just awful. Oh yeah, the third one was a mess. So the other big story that's been going on, and this is something that you do. Well, I don't know if I know you like the show. So I, I don't I can't speak if you actually care about any of this or not, but it's a little closer to home and you'll probably have more to say about it than I do even. Um, the Simpsons are possibly re- retiring Apu. Yeah, I heard about that. So basically the story in a nutshell is that uh, there was a comedian who made uh, his name is uh, Hari uh, Kondabolu he made a documentary called The Problem with Apu that sort of alleged that Apu is a racist stereotype and not good for Southern Asian culture. And the um, producer of Castlevania on, on Netflix, Adi uh, Shankar, he, um, he started this contest to write basically a fleshed out backstory, like a, a an episode that fleshes out the backstory and everything of Apu and, you know, pitch it to the Simpsons writers. Now he claims that, and he, and he, he chose a winner and said that, uh, you know, he loves the script and everything and they were going to pitch it to the Simpsons writer room, writer's room. He claims that he has some sources within the Simpsons camp that say that they're just going to basically not make a big deal about it and just kind of write him out of the show. Uh, and then a couple days ago, Al Jean, one of the uh, one of the legendary producers of the the Simpsons, 
basically tweeted out that Adi Shanker is not a producer of the show and, you know, he kind of doesn't know what, uh, what he's talking about. So, you know, there's some dispute as to whether or not they're going to do it or not. When the documentary first came out, I don't know if you saw the episode. I think it's called No No Good Book Goes Unpunished. Uh, possibly, depending on... I, I kind of stopped watching it a while ago. But I've seen episodes here and there. What, it, what was the plot? It's basically about... Uh, like, Lisa has this thing at the end of the episode where she kind of looks straight to camera and says that, uh, you know, the book, I can't remember what book it was either, but it was something beloved from the past. And, uh, you know, it's too bad that people nowadays look at it through a different lens. And that's uh, Huckleberry Finn, maybe. Yeah, something like that. And uh, that says, you know, it's basically a direct rebuttal to the to the documentary. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, do you think... Do you think that, uh, you know, they should get rid of a poo? Do you think they should try to to embellish his backstory to give him more depth as a character? Or do you think that they, that they just should completely ignore it? I mean, to be honest, I think the show is way past its uh, prime time. I think they should just get rid of the show entirely. Yeah. Uh, since it's probably still a cash cow for Fox, why? I have no idea who's watching the show. I mean, people our age, I don't think, are really watching it. I can't imagine people younger than us are really watching it. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched mean, it, you know, like you, I watched it when we were young. I think, I think it came out in 89. And, uh, yeah, know, I think so. So I was, I was still in elementary school when it came out, and I watched it when I was younger. I probably stopped watching it when I was around 14 or so. I think I watched it longer than you, but I, even then, like at a certain point, it was just like, I, it's not even good. I mean, it, it doesn't, they weren't even like making funny references to their own self as they were. I mean, shows like South Park, I thought were much better. Yeah. I, I, and I, I heard South Park even directly like address the Apu thing in an episode this year, but I haven't watched any of the South Park episodes this year. Yeah, they did. I, I, I haven't mean, seen that episode either, but I heard that they did. Yeah, I mean, the character Apu is just completely, like, stereotypical. I mean, there's nothing about the character. I mean, he works in a convenience store. He has, a, like, a PhD in computer science. He has a giant family. He has, like, a, a Vishnu. Not, not uh, the the elephant one. I can't remember. Maybe it is Vishnu. It's not Vishnu. Gaisha? Ganesh. There you go. He has a Ganesh statue right by it. I mean, there's nothing about the character that isn't offensive to someone from, you know, India. Right. Yeah. But uh, I, I think, I don't know, I, I tend to think that people make too much of these things. Yeah, because there's definitely a slippery slope, because then what, are you going to get rid of Groundskeeper Willie? I mean, he's like, I mean, he's like, oh, you know, the Scottish like guy who's offended by everything. Yeah. Are you going to get rid of uh, Fat Tony and the Mafia characters? I mean, the, the Italian guys who are, you know, all mobbed up. Right, exactly. There's a chef, there's a chef guy who's also like, uh, he's like, ah, meatball, you know, that stereotypical kind of thing. <laughs> Basically, every character on The Simpsons is a stereotype. Yeah, and, and you know that that has its place in comedy. The thing is, is if if Matt Groening and Al Jean and the rest of the writers and the producers of the show were making something to denigrate a group of people or to hurt somebody's feelings, or you know, if they were doing it in a um in a vicious way that would be one thing but 
they're not. And it seems like we used to be able to say, hey, this is being done for fun. This is being done in a funny way. So, you know, we're not going to think about it too hard and we're not going to get offended by it. And now people don't, don't do that anymore or, or for some reason can't do that anymore. And it's just, it's weird to me. And people will say stuff like, um, oh, you know, but that that matters. That matters to, you know, like how kids perceive Southern Asian people and things like that. And it's like, should it? You know, like things in the media only have as much importance as we give them. Would anyone even think about Apu if it weren't being given this kind of platform? Isn't Aren't you talking about it, making it a bigger deal than it is? Yeah, for sure. It's like, this is a terrible uh, correlation, but like with like whenever there's like a school shooting mm-hmm. or like, you know, a mass shooting, there's like, oh, look, it's this person. Let's find out as much as we can about this person. I mean, doesn't that kind of like, you know, make it seem like that's the more important aspect of it? Right. I mean, yeah. Do we really need to know every detail about like that guy in Vegas's life or anything like that? Yeah. You know, not that they're the same, but I mean, but at the same time, the fact that someone brought it up shows that some people are being offended. I mean, do you really want comedy that's not offensive to anyone? That doesn't seem very funny to me. I mean, the very core of comedy is someone's getting hurt. Exactly. And, and that's the thing is like people are going to be, you know, it doesn't matter what we do. You're not going to get rid of people being offended. So I think it when that's the case, I think the important thing to do is to look at intent and when someone is, you know, doing something where the intention is to marginalize or denigrate a group of people, then that's probably something that, you know, we should be against in society. But when the intention is, you know, for comedy purposes, or even to a lot of times, you know, uh, comedians will use stereotypes to, to deliver the opposite message, you know, in a, in a satirizing kind of way. And you you don't want to get rid of things like that. Sure. But I think also another big part of this is, like you said, The Simpsons debuted in like 1989 or something like that. So it's it's a product of another era entirely at this point. I mean, yeah. the people who made and still work in The Simpsons, almost every one of them like are from a different time, or, you know, a different era in time where it's okay to like, you know, make fun of the stereotypes like they do. I mean, it's not necessarily the modern, you know type of comedy, I guess, which is why people who are born, you know, later than that and, like, have grown up, you know, watching it are, like, completely unaware of the style of comedy. But at the same time, I mean, the show just has not evolved. It's the same jokes over and over. I, I just wish the show would go off the air. That's true. You know, uh, I hadn't thought about that. But they they really haven't had a lot of turnover, obviously, as far as voice actors go. But as far as, as writers have gone... I mean, you know, they've lost a couple to uh, either retirement or, or or death, unfortunately, in, in Sam Simon's case. But, um, yeah, they, they really haven't had a lot of turnover writer-wise. So they really are kind of the whole organization is sort of a relic. Yeah, and it's just like, it's like, um, I, I know you've probably been seeing this. Did you ever see the movie Dumb and Dumber Part 2? Uh, I think I did, yeah. See, I saw it, and it, it was an odd movie because there were definitely parts that I thought were funny, but it just it seemed like it was made in the wrong era. I feel if the movie was made maybe two years after the original Dumb and Dumber movie, it would have been a huge hit. Oh, yeah. But then, like, but all the joke, like comedy of comedy evolves pretty quickly. 
And so all the jokes were essentially from, you know, a couple of years after the first one. So it's like they just didn't evolve. So it's like you're just looking at a relic or an antique at that point, which is, is kind of what The Simpsons has become. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. I think that um, that they should definitely they should definitely go off the air at this point. I think it's it's been they're going to be 30 years. Yeah, they're, yeah it's going to be 30 years. I think they start. I think this is the start of their thirtieth season. I think you're right. Yeah. So I think. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's enough. I mean, you know, it, like it's almost impossible, no matter how talented and and you know, props to them for what they did and how they uh, changed television and everything. And you know, they were great and groundbreaking at the beginning. But, um, oh yeah, for sure, and they had amazing writers. Conan O'Brien was an early writer who, you know, you could tell, you could definitely tell watching the Conan O'Brien show that he had a huge influence on the early episodes of The Simpsons, or at least he was part of them because he has the same kind of like almost vaudevillian style of humor as some of the jokes from the earlier Simpsons. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like no matter how talented you are, it's hard to make anything quality for thirty years. I mean, except this podcast. We're, we'll be doing this podcast for thirty years. Yeah, probably. But as long as the blogosphere is still around. <laughs> That's right. But besides, yeah, before they chain the doors on the internet of us. But uh, yeah, besides this podcast, it's hard to do anything and maintain the same high level of quality for for thirty years. I think it's, I think it's enough at this point. I mean, I would have loved for them to have stopped in their prime. Like you know, some shows like Breaking Bad, which we've discussed quite a bit, you know, stopped at. They're at the height of their popularity, and it was like a masterpiece. The Simpsons, if they had stopped after like I don't know six, seven seasons, it would have been the best show ever. But it didn't, and so just everything they had built up was been destroyed. Yep, I agree. Well, speaking of uh, television being destroyed, let's talk about. I got to get better at these transitions. Let's talk about uh, (laughs) what we've been watching uh, this week. Here's what we've been watching. What have you been viewing this week, Mike? I actually watched quite a bit of TV this week. Um, since it's uh, tomorrow will be Halloween, it's the 30th day. Um, I watched the movie Scream, you know, the uh, the first Scream movie, the Wes Craven-Kevin um, Williamson joint, as they say. Right. And I mean, that's I really like that movie. It's like almost like a perfect horror movie. I mean, of course, they made a couple sequels of varying degree of quality, but the first one is just like everything about it is great. There's a you know, there's a really kind of scary surprises. There's a nice twist. There's a lot of callbacks to previous you know horror movies, like the character of Billy Loomis is a reference to both uh, Halloween, which is in itself a reference to the movie Psycho. Yep. Um, there's a good cast of characters. I mean, it's. You know, it's a parody at certain point. It's it's just an amazing. I, I, it's a perfect movie. I love uh, that first Scream movie too. It's funny how Wes Craven sort of he was so influential on different aspects of the horror movie genre, like The Last House on the Left, and then um, obviously Nightmare on Elm Street. Shocker. That's another, <laughs> that's another one. I think that came out in 1990. That's another one I saw in the theater. I saw a lot of horror movies in the theater with my my cousin, Ed, when I was really way too young to see them. Yeah, I, I didn't see a lot in theaters, and I know he did that, and like The People Under the Stairs, which I heard both of them were terrible. Yeah, The People didn't Under the see Stairs I- is a really weird movie. 
And of course, uh, Wes Craven has a hilarious cameo in Scream where like it, uh, what's his name? Um, Henry Winkler is the principal. Mm-hmm. And he hears like a weird noise and he goes out in the hall. And there's uh, Wes Craven uh, wearing the the you know traditional red and uh, green sweater with a floppy kind of mess up hat. Yeah. He goes, Fred, is that you? And of course, Freddy Krueger was the janitor. I mean, obviously not at that high school. But... Yeah, yeah, but that was his job in the in the uh, the movie. But yeah, Scream is uh, Scream is awesome, and the way the it's an effective slasher movie while at the same time satirizing slasher movies oh yeah i like i like that it's a it's one of the movies where you could rewatch it and still get some value out of it like you kind of like when you rewatch it you see certain things that uh spoiler for a 30 20 year old movie um that the two killers you could tell there's like that if you were just watching it with you know no the knowledge of who the killers are it's just so obvious that they are the killers yeah and I like, and I like in that movie, and even in the sequels, trying to, uh, when there's multiple killers trying to figure out, like, oh, this is obviously him at this point, or him at this point. Oh yeah, you know, I never thought about uh, doing that, going through and and trying to figure out which one was doing it at what time. That's uh, that's interesting. I should do that. Yeah, though at some points there's no logical sense, but I mean, especially in the second one with um, with Laurie Metcalf and um, uh, what's his name, Timothy Oliphant, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, they're the and the, it doesn't make as much sense as the second one, but I just I kind of enjoy going back and watching it. Um, what have you been watching? Well, I've been watching a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, based on uh, on your recommendation, which I am loving. <laughs> I, I that that show, that's like I don't know how I didn't um, you know discover this show like. So I watch, I think two of the better comedies that are on right now, sitcoms that are on right now, are um, Superstore on NBC, which I, I love a lot. And uh, Ben Feldman, if you're listening, I've written uh, about you several times on uh, michigansportsandentertainment.com. You retweeted it. I know you read it. I know you're the guy at the end of American Pie. Just write us a letter or come on the show <laughs> and admit it. There's a there's a, a DJ at the end of the, the movie American Pie that's wearing this big giant um it looks like I don't know if you ever if you remember Johnny Carson used to play this character called Karnak, who was yeah, like, is it when they're at the restaurant no, and there's like a DJ in there? They're actually at the prom. Oh, okay. And um and he's like doing the music and everything. And he's not credited. I went on to IMDb. I went everywhere. There is no credit for this guy at all anywhere in the movie. But I swear to God, it is the guy that plays Jonah on Superstore. His name's Ben Feldman. And I have, uh, I've written articles about Superstore. I've written articles about him. And I've brought it up. I brought it up to him. He's retweeted stuff and liked stuff that I've done. But he has not come out and said, yeah, that's me at the end of American Pie. And I will have a vendetta against him until he does that. Isn't Mark McKinney on that show? Yeah. Yeah, he's very good in it, too. I mean, obviously, the kids in the hall are one of the best uh, sketch comedy groups of all time, if not the best of all time. Yep. I mean, I haven't seen that show. It doesn't look like something I'd want to watch just because, you know, as we've discussed before, I'm not a big fan of, like, Big time network shows. I'm happy that he, uh, 
you know, he's gotten a uh, steady sitcom. Oh, yeah, me too. I hope he's making the big money. And he's, he's like I said, he's very good on the show. The, the show, you probably wouldn't like it that much. Although, I don't know. I think there are things that you would, uh, that you would laugh at, uh, you know, on the show. But it's a very well-written sitcom. It's very traditional workplace sitcom. But it's very, uh, it's very well-written. And, uh, and everyone, it's, a, it's very much an ensemble show. And everyone is, is really great on it. But I, I watched that, and I watched The Good Place, and I, I you know, I w- those are the two shows where I was like, you know, these are the two probably best scripted sitcoms on TV. And then I watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia based on the <laughs> recommendation, and I was yeah. like, how the hell did this show go under my nose? Like, I don't, it's not, is it on, it's on FX, right? I think it's FXX now. Okay, so maybe that's why I didn't, uh, I wasn't quite aware of it or, or whatever. But uh, from the first episode, it it grabs you. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's a great show. So I've been watching a lot of that um, and, and really enjoying that. Yeah, that's one of the things I watched uh, this week was the most recent episode of Always Sunny. It was a uh, episode where um. It was basically a parody of Home Alone with Charlie being stuck in the bar while the rest of the gang went to the uh, Super Bowl. Oh, my God. And uh, Charlie, of course, set up a bunch of traps because he thought there were burglar- <laughs> burglars coming. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it was a pretty good episode. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. That ties yeah. into uh, a little bit to what we'll be talking about uh, later, which is crazy fan theories. And I have two of them from Home Alone. That I think will be interesting. How how far into Always Sunny are you? I am, I think, around halfway through the first season. Oh wow! The first, I'm not even. There's no uh, exaggerating on my part. The first season is by far the weakest. Season. Really? Yeah, because the second season they were on the verge of cancellation, so they had Danny DeVito added to the cast. I was wondering, when and that like comes along. Yeah, and that just like I mean, the the great part about the show is you can just basically watch them in any order you want to, and it's still hilarious. Mm-hmm. But if you do watch them in order, it does build upon past references and that sort of thing. Okay, yeah, I'm, like they're, I'm loving it a lot. Yeah, you can skip around. Like my favorite, like classic episodes are the Dennis Effect, which is like just an insane episode that's like you know quotable forever. Just a couple of seasons ago, there was an episode called The Gang Visits the Water Park. That's a hilarious episode as well. Um, I'm not going to spoil any of it for you, but I mean, you could skip around. There's there's so many episodes that are just hilarious. And I mean, I, I've i never really, I've heard people say this before, but I kind of do envy you that you'll be seeing these with fresh eyes because there's so many hilarious moments in all these episodes upcoming. That, uh, yeah, my my wife is watching it with me too. And uh, and she, she like thinks it's hilarious. I, 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 I will tell everyone to to watch this show. They're they've been around for a while though. They're, isn't that this their thirteenth season now? Yeah, it, yeah. It's I think they're like this season or the next will be like breaking the record for the longest sitcom against Ozzy and Harriet, maybe. Oh wow. Yeah, they've. I mean, there's definitely some episodes that are kind of weaker. Like last season and even earlier episodes of this season, I wasn't too happy about. I mean, I didn't think they were great. But there are some episodes that are just like surreal. I mean, you just, it's impossible to imagine how someone could have made something so far. Oh, I mean, it's, it, it is, it's very good. It's, def, it's very good for sure. 
Uh, I watched the first episode of that Sabrina remake too, uh, the Sabrina the Teenage Witch one, the dark reimagining of Sabrina. My wife wanted to watch it because she was a big fan of uh, of that show when she was a kid. So I watched the first episode. Um, interesting for sure. <laughs> it's by the same people that did uh, Riverdale. Have you seen any of that? No, I mean, I when I was younger, I read Archie comics, but I heard this is like a dark reimagining. <laughs> I, I went to a movie theater. I think I was with my wife. I went to a movie theater, and they played a commercial for that Riverdale before, you know, this was probably six months before it actually came out. And I turned to my wife and I said, a dark reimagining of Archie. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> A gritty reboot of the Riverdale game. What are they going to do next? I mean, uh, you know, Archie, obviously, as um, as uh, Chasing Amy taught us, was an <laughs> all-American guy that was trying to get Betty and Veronica in a three-way. Yeah, that's one of the best lines of that movie. He's like, he could have been all more, more all-American than him and Jughead were lovers. He was trying to get Betty and Veronica into a three-way. <laughs> That that's a I love that movie and I'm sure you do too. I mean mm-hmm. Ben Affleck's best performance other than Phantoms. Right. That's just that's true. It was the bomb in Phantoms for sure. Um, what's weird? I have to say I'm actually I, I have to commend the people behind Archie. They've been taking some really like crazy risks lately. Like there's a comic and I want to get this. It's uh it's Archie versus the Predator. I was just about to say, isn't there one where he fights the Predator? Yeah, and, and the cover for this one is amazing. You have to see it. It's him and Betty in a, a, a booth at the malt shop. And they're, you know, drinking from a, a big Sunday. And uh, sitting next to them is the Predator <laughs> drinking from the same... Just sitting there. Yeah, it's it's the most amazing cover I've ever seen. Oh, my God. I wonder if their fight is going to be over Betty. Um, I'm not sure. You know, actually, I think that is, I've read the spoilers. I think actually Betty prevails and like every, almost everybody else dies. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. They also did, they also did Archie uh, versus the, or Archie meets the Punisher. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, they're, they're definitely taking some risks because I'm always like, there's like, it's always amazing when like a established like franchise like that. I was like, ah, fuck it. Let's just see what we can. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, and I might actually go out and get that, and uh, or go on to Comixology or, or something like that, and and check that out because that that does sound interesting to me. Archie's the, the one comic that I've kind of read a little bit over the years. Yeah, I read it when I was younger. Like you could get like a bunch of them for like ten cents a comic. It was like the most like you know, like kind of like. Um, mundane comic covers like oh they're fighting he, these two these two beautiful women are fighting over archie <laughs> i guess that is maybe it's the most fantastical comic ever because uh, it might be two beautiful women fighting over this ginger fuck <laughs> oh my god and he doesn't know which one to go with yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, uh, so the Sabrina Netflix show is, uh, it's weird. It It's, you know, I don't, I mean, I guess they made it Sabrina, just like we were talking about uh, in one of our earlier podcasts about um, 
making that that show uh, Magnum PI, where they didn't have to make it Magnum PI, but they probably did it for uh, either the Magnum. name recognition. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why they did this because it shares some elements with Sabrina. I mean, she has the same name. I guess it's ostensibly it's the same character. She has her cat is is back, but not voiced uh, hilariously <laughs> by Nick Fakai this time. There wasn't. I, I never watched that old show, uh, the Caroline uh, Ray Melissa Joan Hart one. Yeah, but I heard there was a drinking game that, like, if you ever uh, like, if the cat like talks, you're supposed to like take a drink. <laughs> and apparently, at a certain apparently at a certain point, you get alcohol alcohol poisoning. Yeah, from- I was gonna say, I think you'd get wasted every episode. I've seen a couple That's- both because my ma- my uh, my wife loves the show. And because I, I've done an episode for dumpster diving on uh, both on YouTube and uh, and for the website, so I've seen a couple episodes of the old show, but it's not a show I watched when it was on. I think I think Pin Gillette was on it at certain points like as a guest like star. I'm not sure. I'm a huge fan of Pin and Teller in general. That's the one that I did for. Uh, for dumpster diving is the oh, one that's that, funny. that Penn and Gillette are on. He plays a, uh, where they both play uh, like these demons and this uh, friend of um, Sabrina's kind of accidentally wanders into the dark dimension or whatever they call it. And he's there. And so since she's a human and she's seeing this, he turns her into a frog, I think. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like those are the rules, so the, they have to find a loophole to get him to turn her back into a a person. It's one of those wacky sitcom things, but he's—they're both very good at it. I love uh, Penn and Teller a lot too. I watch that uh, that uh, Fool Us show. Yeah, with, that's a good show. With them, uh, my my son is really into magic, so I you know I watch that show a lot with him, and yeah, I, I like them a lot. And whenever they show up in something. Uh, it it uh, I I always think okay this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be a good episode. Yeah, they're great because uh, their show bullshit obviously was a swear word, but fool us too. Like when they when they get fooled, the trophy comes out and it just says "f you" in giant capital letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love us. I love that show. But uh, yeah, so that that Sabrina thing is 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 interesting. It's weird. It's weird. Because you keep thinking about, if you've seen the original, you keep thinking about the original. And this is, I mean, it's so, it's so different. I mean, like, they, and they, they say a lot, uh, hail Satan or, or praise Satan or, (laughs) or or thank you. Yeah. They, there are several times in the first episode where her aunts, um, use that phrase, either praise Satan or hail Satan or stuff like that, because they're, they're, as witches they worship satan and since she's the like a half breed of a human being and a witch she gets to choose on her 16th birthday what she's going to do and if she chooses to be a witch which it's leaning towards she probably will she writes her name in they i think they call him uh the dark lord but they're obviously referring to satan uh, in his book, so I think she's like basically pledging her soul to him. Huh. So yeah, it's it's a really it's a dark take on it. 
Yeah, it's kind of dumb though because uh, like people who are actually into like witchcraft and stuff, they don't even care about like the whole like Judeo-Christian concept of. No, I yeah, totally. And they have they they start this club uh, f- to defend women because one of her one of her friends gets basically sexually assaulted by the uh, Harvey. I'm sorry, Harvey. No, Harvey. <laughs> He was the guy in this, the original show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. No, no. But like, uh, one of her friends is a girl gets assaulted by, like, the football team, you know? And they pull her shirt up because she looks, she's got a short haircut. She looks like a guy. They want, uh, they said they wanted to prove that she was a girl. Which... Did they ask what she was doing having tits? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you doing having tits? <laughs> Oh my god! Oh yeah, they should. But uh, so they go to the principal, who um, is played by Bronson Pinchot. And uh, really, yeah. is he really? Wow! Balcony. Does he have it? Okay. Does he have an accent? No, no. Good for him. <laughs> but he uh, so they they he plays the principal, and she you know she says that this happened and everything. And he's like, oh, well, what are their names? And she said she wouldn't tell me what their names are. And he said, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about it then. And she said, you know, she doesn't feel safe here and everything. And his response is, well, you know, as her friend, you should probably advise her to uh, go to a different school. <laughs> that's literally what he says. So, they so say, what you're saying is he told her to get out of the city. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Get out of the city, cousin. But... uh that was way more Russian than Greek, but uh, so they, um, he was Miposian, not Greek, right? But they uh, so anyway they um, they uh, start this club for women, and the the I can't remember exactly what uh, what all the letters stand for, but basically the acronym comes down to Wicca, which you know, haha, take on um on witchcraft but as you said i would think that for the wiccan community out there this show would be pretty offensive oh yeah for sure i mean it doesn't make it's like lazy writing like hey let's make a show about witches show you research it nah <laughs> yeah and i mean it's like i guess they have to have some kind of you know villain or uh, or evil force in the show so they decide to just make it Satan and a bunch of demons because that's convenient for them, I suppose, instead of, you know, thinking outside Thought the out. box. Or in the box of the relative concept. Right. But yeah, so I watched that. It was weird. Um, I don't really have a, a desire to watch any more of it. If And the thing is, is if you're a big Sabrina fan, it's not... No one is. <laughs> right. But it's not, I mean, it's not anything like that show. So I don't know that you'd really like it. And if you, I mean, I guess if you're into uh, Satan stuff, you know, you might, <laughs> you might like it. Finally, tapping into the Satan uh, demographic. Yeah, that's actually their tagline is, uh, is Satan stuff approved. <laughs> Dark Lord approved. Oh my gosh. With Belky. <laughs> well, you know, at least he's getting work too. Yeah, I, I like Bronson Pinchot. 
It's better. It, it, this is better than the Langoliers. What? <laughs> Sadly, I think he was on Step by Step after the Langoliers. Oh, God. He was on an episode of Step by Step? Uh, a season of Step by Step. And his name was Jean-Luc, and he had an accent. Oh. Step by Step. One of the worst pieces of shit to ever be produced. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Speaking of... <laughs> I actually got a, um, like, you know, on Facebook, you know, like the time hop or whatever. Mm-hmm. My uh, wife sent me one that was pretty hilarious. It was uh, it was Cody <laughs> from Step by Step. They said, hey, Dana Burger, I'm not going to beat you like I beat my wife in real life. <laughs> because he's a wife beater. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's uh, that story. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, think about it, though. Like... They let him. They let some dude that said he was their cousin sleep in his van outside their house. You know, another thing that I'll ruin step by step for you, other than the acting. Your eyes. No, whenever you watch uh, Cody play the guitar, his guitar is never plugged in. Oh yeah, that bugs me in a lot of different. Um, yeah. A lot of different shows and movies. I mean, at first they start having it plugged in, and they're like, "Eh, who cares?" Yeah, no one. No one that watches this has any knowledge of anything else, or else they wouldn't be watching this show. Yeah, they're like, hey, if you're watching this, you're probably an idiot. Probably an idiot. Their key demographic was coma patients. <laughs> and not the wise ones, either. Right. Oh, God. Yeah, that, uh... God, that, that show had to be responsible for more suicides than adultery. <laughs> I hate that show so much, but, uh, yeah, so (laughs) I guess, uh, we will move on to our main topic of the day or no, we, oh, that's right. We've got our regular feature. So as, as you guys know, uh, you know, every week on the show, we have our regular feature pitch a movie that could only be made in the 1980s. So Mike and I have put in a lot of thought, and by that I mean no thought, into what we're going to pitch today. I guess I'll go first. It's probably for the best. So, uh, as you know, Dolph Lundgren cannot feature in the movie in any way. That's uh, you know, yeah. This is this is rare for us, but going off on a tangent. Um, (laughs) Did you know that Dolph Lundgren's going to be in Creed too? Is it now? I know that that uh, I know that Creed Two is like I think he's he's uh, fighting uh, uh, Ivan Drago's son. Yeah, Ivan Drago's son. But I didn't know that Dolph Lundgren was gonna gonna make an appearance. Yeah, I saw the I saw the previews and uh, Dolph Lundgren is in the uh, the previews. I'm I'm actually a big Dolph Lundgren fan. Yeah, I know you are, and he's he's a genius. He literally is a genius. He got a scholarship to MIT for chemical engineering. Yep. And he's got, he's got something like 165 IQ or something like that. Yeah, but you know what? He's a fucking Swede. <laughs> maybe he, we should rethink uh, the our stance on the Swedes, and maybe Bill Fabergé is uh, is Norwegian. He might be. Here's a, here's a great story. There was a uh, in Mexico. There was a pretty elaborate estate. A uh, a couple of burglars broke into it and they started ransacking the house. Okay. They took all the jewelry, all the you know high priced uh, sterling silver silverware. Mm-hmm. Then they went to the master bedroom. 
they saw the portrait of a uh, of the homeowner and they immediately dropped everything. Do you know who the homeowner was? I'm gonna guess Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Wow, he's got an estate in Mexico. I, I mean, he's he's a very bright guy, and I think he's a good actor. And things I've seen him in. There was this movie called Silent Trigger. It was like directed direct to VHS. Mm-hmm. He's really. I don't know if you've seen the first Universal Soldier movie with him and Van Damme. Yeah. He's he's good in that too. I like the first one for sure. Yeah, some of the other ones were really bad. He was in Johnny Mnemonic too, wasn't he? I don't know if he was. I think um, I think he was. He in may one have of, been. But I, in I honestly those, one of those like uh, you know cybery uh, early ninety or late nineties movies. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I just don't remember. But I, I think he's a decent actor when he's used properly. Mm-hmm. And there's a hilarious Always Sunny episode where they, he used Dolph Lundgren. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he's like, they mix him in one. I think he's actually in another. He's he's great. I'll definitely look forward to that. I like uh, Dolph Lundgren a lot, too. Uh, like you said, I think the key with him is using him properly. Yeah, I mean he's he's obviously like a big muscly guy, but I mean he can act as well. Yeah, and that's the thing is you can't you you or you shouldn't use him like they like Stallone uses him in the Expendables is basically just like some muscle bound idiot because that's that he you know that's not who he is and that's not that's not playing to his strengths as an actor. He's basically a thinking man's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, exactly. But was never used properly. I mean, he's as big as Arnold. He's like six foot five. He's like this huge guy. Arnold's like only like six foot six. And I mean, he's super intelligent and like he's like, you know, I mean, he could have been like a huge star. Maybe he is internationally. I don't know. But yeah, he's, I'm a big fan. Oh, yeah, me too. So my entry uh, for our regular segment pitch a movie that could only be made in the 80s. Uh, takes a lot of the tropes of the 80s. So, obviously, you have to have uh, kids who are doing a lot of swearing. There has to be a lot of violence, uh, you know, uh, aimed at a young audience. A hard R movie aimed at a young audience, like like RoboCop. Uh, teenagers taking off their clothes and then getting murdered. And uh, sexual crimes that are played off as a comedy. So, <laughs> as hijinks. Right, exactly. So, my uh, my pitch is called <clears throat> the Babysitter Defenders. And what happens is it starts out with a group of four kids. There's the uh, the kind of jockey kid. There's the funny kid. There's the fat kid, and then there's the leader that has some sort of impediment, uh, like asthma, or in, in this in this case, it's that he uh, he has a wooden leg. Full blown AIDS. <laughs> so <clears throat> they all get together for a sleepover. Their parents uh, have gone out uh, for the night, someplace that they that it's hard for them to get back from or they can't really reach them at. So, you know, I'm thinking maybe like a day trip to Malibu or something like that. <laughs> so they, uh, the, a babysitter, they've got the have a hired babysitter to watch uh, the kids. And she's decided that she's going to throw a party. 
So she's got, uh, you know, like three of her friends come over and uh, their boyfriends come over and they're kind of partying and everything. And the kids, they want to, uh, you know, one of them has a, a book that his uncle left in their attic. And it turns out that his uncle was into like, you know, kind of demonology type stuff and everything. So this is like a Necronomicon type book. And they end up starting to read from it and everything. And they accidentally summon some demons. So, you know, the, uh, the girls and their boyfriends and stuff are having sex on the couch and everything. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, the demons start attacking them. Oh, and before that, uh, before when, when, uh, before the party happens, cause you know, we have to have the hijinks in there. Um, you know, the girls, the girls all get together first and decide they're going to invite their boyfriends and stuff like that. But, um, they're in the bathroom with, uh, their, their tops completely off doing their hair, talking to each other, just completely naked in, in a completely unrealistic way, like in every eighties movies. And the, the boys who are like, let's say 12 or so, 12, 13 year old boys, they rig up a, uh, a camera there because their parents have a camcorder in uh, the corner of the bathroom so they can watch them uh, taking off their clothes. And, and there's a scene where they're in their bedroom and everything's hooked up and stuff. And they're like, tits, sweet. And they high five. <laughs> what? <clears throat> but anyway, so zombies start attacking uh them and they start killing the boyfriends and stuff like that and that's when it's time for the kids to get tough so they start getting their nerf guns together and uh and one of the uh the smart ones is like if we if we uh turn up the pressure on these nerf guns it's gonna go right through those demons and um they're uh another thing that they got from the attic that their uncle left there was this like thing of holy water and a couple other things. So they start dousing their nerf stuff with holy water and they, you know, they, they charge down the stairs and they start attacking, uh, the, the demons, the undead people. And, uh, they start, you know, shooting their nerfs and their nerfs go like right through them, <laughs> giant hole through the chest, you know, and everything. And it just turns into like this giant fight inside the house, uh, where they defend the babysitters. And at the end, uh, the leader guy gets a kiss on the cheek from the uh, the main babysitter who's had a crush on for years. That'll be established early <laughs> in the movie. But that's, uh, that's my movie that can only be made in the 80s. Wow, that's insane. So, Mike, do you have an entry for a movie that could only be made in the 80s? First of all, you remind me of another movie I watched this week. Okay. Um, the 1990 version of uh, Stephen King's It. Oh, yeah. What's weird about that movie is I didn't realize that Seth Green was in the movie. Yeah. He plays uh, Richie Tozer, I believe. Yep, the young Richie Tozer, yeah, who who grows up to be Harry Anderson. Rest in peace, Harry Anderson. Rest in peace. Um, but yeah, what's weird about it is that is I didn't realize it was Seth Green because he's like 17 where everybody else is 12. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, what's his name? Who's the guy that, that uh, hanged himself in that? Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Brandis. Yeah, poor Jonathan Brandis. Some demons there. Scenario number two. <laughs> He's yeah. hanged by his neck in his fucking closet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's Baseball is a good movie, too. 
Yeah. But yeah, I kept, I kind of misinterpreted the concept of this. I thought you were going to ask for movies that could only be made in the 80s. Okay. By which I mean, like, like, and by this I was going to go with a book. The book, it could only be ma- written in the 80s. That's true. There's so much nostalgia for like the 30, 30 years ago, 1955 era. And of course, the infamous uh, scene where uh, the main characters have a gangbang. Yeah. You could do that these days. Ugh. What a. Uh... Such a weird part. I don't understand that part of the book at all. It, it adds nothing. I like Stephen King a lot, as you know. Oh, yeah, I do know that for sure. He's, he's no Dean Koontz. But I can't, uh, I can't defend that that choice to put that in that book at all. It's 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 weird. It's very weird. And they do it so that they can find their way back. Apparently, I mean, it sounds like a line that one of the boys came up with. It's just like, hey, let's just tell Beverly that we can't find our way back unless we <laughs> all bang her. <laughs> Yeah, that's. I'm trying to look that up. I because I mean, Cujo was written in 1981, mm-hmm. and the only reason I reference Cujo is because he says he was so fucked up out of drugs that he doesn't remember writing Cujo at all. Yeah, I, I've read that. Yep. So I'm wondering, was it still part of his like drug infused mania? I believe it was. Yeah, because it came out before Misery, and Misery was uh, kind of. His he wrote that sort of about cocaine, like basically Annie Wilkes was cocaine, and uh, yeah, that makes sense, and like how it imprisoned him and everything. And uh, so, I think, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure because I think it came out in 86. I, I, I just 86, looked it up, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- I mean, that's the only explanation I have for that book, yeah. That's it, it's it's so messed up, like, and why you would think, hey, it'll be okay if I put this in a book. And there's 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 another weird part with the whole Patrick Hoxetter part where he's like whacking off and like these like weird like I don't know are they bees or beetles? Yeah, that's that's overly descriptive of like a young person uh, sexually as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think he's like a pervert or anything. It's just weird that he put that in the book. Yeah, and there's uh, and there's a um, there's a weird like kind of suggestion that Patrick. Uh, and and uh, the other guy, I can't remember his name. It's not Henry Bowers. Yeah, I don't, was it the guy who became Lurch or Maybe the it Henry Bowers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where he was like doing stuff to him too. Yeah, like they might be gay. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was it was weird. It, it's it's a very odd book. I don't think you could get away with writing that book now. I mean, I like the book. It's it's it kind of falls off really hard in the third part because I mean it's like oh it's an alien. I didn't care for that myself too much. The ending is terrible, but Stephen King, you know, as much as I love Stephen King, Stephen King's not good at writing endings. Yeah, and I think he could really benefit from a good editor for the most part. I mean, I think at a certain point he became, like, such a force that, like, they wouldn't even dare to properly edit his Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, you know, they'll they'll edit, like, a little bit here and there, but no one, I think, will tell him we need to cut, you know, we need to cut some stuff. Like, I don't think people will tell him that anymore. And that's really what he, what he needs. If you look at his early work and compare it to his later work, it's, you know, they, I mean, he has some books that are, that are fairly sizable, like The Stand, you know, even. Um, yeah. But I, The Stand, I don't, I, there's not a lot of The Stand I would cut out, though. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, 
is that, um, you know, like, even though the stand is big, it's leaner than it. There's less fat in the stand than there is in it. Or, or some, or even, I mean, it's not the best example because it's a pretty good book, but like, um, like Duma Key or, uh, or some of his, uh, later books, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fat that could be trimmed off those books, but. Oh yeah, for sure. You think you would have learned something from Dr. Sam Beckett about, you know, being, uh, you know, the sake of. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's, I mean, definitely like, his, which is kind of ironic because in one of his, uh, his book on writing, he, he mentions like he was writing for a sports reporter mm-hmm. and then he basically went through and like, just like slashed like a third of his writing. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that was revolutionary. But then later in his career, it's like, oh, whatever I write. Just- yeah, I think there tends to come a time as you get older as a writer where you just kind of, especially if you're super successful, where you just kind of get enamored to the point where it's like, I don't need to cut any of this. But I can't, I'm trying to think of this, uh, this, this novella he wrote, not too recently, but it was like, do you remember the story? It's a good life. No, it's a good it was life. about this. It was basically like a, a, a take up on the uh, BTK killer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was some. Maybe it was that that whole novella was really good, but it was like short. You know, there was like maybe four stories. It might have been five hundred pages. I don't think it was that. I mean, that seems like he was like came to his old form. That was almost like as good as you know different season. Yeah, yeah. There are there there are some. Um, I think you know. I think he does a better job editing his short stories too. And, and oh yeah, for sure. Is. But yeah, in conclusion, I don't think you can make it today without uh, a lot of people being very upset. No, no, that would be, I mean, they, they did, they made, you know, they, they, but they had to change so much of, uh, of the story when they, when they did that, like, you know, cause it's, it's takes place in the eighties. So, you know, instead of the fifties, like all the old stuff is the eighties. Cause that's, yeah. you know, that, that, but yeah, they changed a lot of it. And it's funny too because they included a lot of stuff from the book without any explanation at all. Like they talked about the turtle, like you know, it's not in the movie, but it's in the book that uh, there's this turtle that uh, you know vomited and gave birth to the universe, and uh, it's kind of uh, Martrin, I think, is what the name of it. Yeah, something like that. But it's uh, it's in the book, but it's not in the movie, and it's in the n- new movie that they made. And they don't explain it at all. It's referenced, but they don't explain it at all. I watch. Aren't there like aren't there like subtle references, like in Bill's like uh, room? There's like a big turtle for no. Yeah, yeah, and there were there were things that they said because I watched it with my wife and my mother-in-law, and they had never read the book or you know I think my my wife saw the 1990 movie, and I had to explain. We had to pause it and explain stuff to them as as we went along. <laughs> And after we watched it, you know, my wife was like, "Yeah, I didn't really like it that much." And if I didn't have you to explain half of what they were talking about, I would have been completely lost. I mean, and of course, it's it's not fair, but I think the performance of Tim Curry compared to like Bill Skarsgård. I mean, Tim Curry is amazing in the first in the first adaptation. I agree. I agree. Tim Curry's awesome, and uh, yeah, he- Bill Skarsgård is uh, Norwegian, so you know, he, he, you yeah, know how we feel about him. 
Yeah. I mean, he's not bad, but I mean, compare a Norwegian, any Norwegian to Tim Curry, and it's like you're left feeling unsatisfied. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Tim Curry is great in that role. Um, you know, I like that that miniseries, you know, there there are some things that don't necessarily hold up about it, but Tim Curry's performance is still it's it's understated. I mean, he's over the top in a lot of scenes, obviously, but the men- Oh, for sure. but the menace of him is really understated and uh it's like it's something that sort of just kind of shines through shines through as uh you know because there's parts where he's like super over the top and trying to be funny or or whatever but then you know he'll just kind of stop and he'll just matter of factly almost like a sociopath with completely no emotion just say uh you know well i'm gonna get you and your friends you know and stuff it's it's a really delicate balance because he's like very likable but very terrifying at the same time yeah whereas bill skarsgård just played to terrify yeah and that's the thing is like um you know, the whole point of it was that the clown was supposed to be to, like, kind of lure them in, you know, like... Yeah, you could see how Tim Curry's character, like, especially when he's, like, seducing Georgie into coming into the sewers. Yeah. That makes sense, but Bill Skarsgård is, like, just, like, it, it is nothing but creepy. I mean, why would a child run toward that? Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of the balance that I think Tim Curry does a little bit better than uh bill skarsgård did although you know like bill skarsgård has been good in a lot of things but uh, I, I haven't seen much of his stuff but i mean like yeah tim curry i mean that's another example of i mean why even bother remaking it much like gus van zandt said about psycho there's no point in remaking it because you can't top the original. exactly exactly so now we will move on to our main topic of today and, you know, we thought a little bit about this because we don't think long about anything that we do on the podcast. Uh, and we decided that we're going to do uh, crazy fan theories. There's uh, there is a lot of interesting but crazy fan theories out there. Um, and I thought the best way we could do this is that I will tell Mike about them and and thus tell all you about them. And Mike can give us his uh his reaction. I guess you can kind of tell us if you think it's plausible, uh, not plausible, or, you know, just batshit insane. So the first one, as I said uh, earlier, because uh, I have two from Home Alone, the first one is, and I, I think this, I, I understand why this exists, but I don't know that there's a lot of evidence for it. But the first one is that Kevin McAllister from Home Alone grows up to be jigsaw the uh killer from the saw movies i've heard this one before so i understand he likes to set up traps and jigsaw also likes to set up traps they mention that they both have a fetish for recorded video i guess because uh kevin uses that uh, angels with dirty faces uh thing movie to uh, fool the pizza guy and Jigsaw uses uh, videos of himself saying, uh, I want to play a game, Dr. Gordon. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and, and he becomes obsessed with uh, his neighbor who's supposed to be a serial killer, even though he saves him and isn't a serial killer at all. Well, to be fair, he's wearing boots, so he's a serial killer. <laughs> can, yeah, can, we, can we quickly address what the fuck does Kevin's dad do? 
Yeah, I don't know. He he's got a ton of money. He's taking his entire family and extended family to Paris for Thanksgiving. Or I mean for uh, Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. I have no idea what uh what he does for a living. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And kudos to uh, Joe Pesci and uh, Daniel Stern for robbing the wealthy neighborhood. That's the best place to get all your uh, money. Future robbers, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh. And how poor, how bad of an idea was that to be the web bandit? Oh, my God. Let's create a way to connect all these crimes. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So there's, uh, to me, there's not much evidence that um there's no evidence none at all i don't even think he's the right age no i don't think so he's he like the saw the first saw movie he's like probably in his 40s or 50s yeah yeah i i think i think even older than his 40s i think he's like in his early 50s maybe late and don't they and they even give his name which isn't kevin McKellis. yeah oh they they address that in this theory that he he changes his name but, uh, yeah, I mean, they both have blonde hair. You know, I guess that's, uh, that's about as, uh, oh, and the other thing, too, is they, like, they point out that, uh, that they, they happen to have, like, puppets and stuff in the house. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make much sense to me. This other theory from Home Alone makes a little more sense to me. <laughs> it kind of makes it more fun. So this one is that Uncle Frank, if you remember the bald guy that says, uh, look what oh, you did, course. you little jerk. Yeah. And his, uh, his son that wets the bed. Yeah. Fuller. Yeah. He, uh, he is behind everything that happens in Home Alone. <laughs> okay. I've heard this one. <laughs> so um, the theory basically states that uh, that. Frank is jealous that his brother has so much money and uh you know they kind of they kind of point to uh to that you know when he uh refuses to pay for the pizza that uh you know when when he first comes comes the pizza guy first comes to the house as the movie opens up and um you know like they say they say uh that he says you know, this is my brother's house. He'll pay for it or he'll take care of it, right? And they're basically saying, he's saying, you see this? This is all my brother's stuff. He's going to pay for it. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. So they, 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 they set up that he's jealous of uh, his brother and he wants to get back at him by, by robbing him. And uh, so he kind of engineers the whole thing in this way. He... Um, he has his son Fuller drink all that stuff so that, you know, he'll wet the bed and everything. He, um, you know, when Fuller is, uh, asks when they're getting up and everything, he comes in and says early, we'll be leaving at 8 a.m. on the dot. And, um, and so he, he, when the pizza comes, he makes sure that everyone eats all the cheese pizza, knowing that Kevin's going to freak out about it, uh, before it happens. And then he's the one that puts the milk jug next to the tickets that gets <laughs> uh, Kevin's ticket wet so that, uh, you know, his ticket isn't there anymore. Yeah. Um, they, uh, 
they say um, that he's the one that cuts the tree branch that that knocks out all their power and and sure. by and by doing that like by kevin like getting all pissed off and everything he's engineering for him to get uh up into the attic where where they won't be able to find him what a wise hammer <laughs> but they they point out that in the in the scene where the branch falls there's no wind there's no rain and you can't see the end of the branch so they think he's there cutting the branch basically um but probably the biggest piece of you know and they they bring up little things like how um you know he says to the mom you know if it makes you feel any better i left my reading glasses and they're like what kind of sociopath uh, <laughs> equates a human being with reading glasses <laughs> but uh um so the big thing that they point out is they uh the parents when they get to france they give Uncle Frank and his wife um, the the contacts, and they say, "Hey, call everyone we know." And the wife comes in a little bit later and says, "Oh, we called you know we called everybody. We can't get anybody because it's the holidays. They're all out of town or whatever." And um, Frank, in the very next scene, is still on the phone. So they say, "Well, if they called everybody, who's he on the phone with?" And who he's on the phone with is the wet bandits. And he tells them, because think about it. Why are they so obsessed with that house in particular? If they think there's someone there, just rob the other houses where, where no one's at. But they ha it has to be that one because that's the house they're getting paid to rob by Frank. And, um, what? and so he, uh, he basically says to them, oh, you know, the kid saw your face. You're going to have to kill him because they they pretty quickly go from they pretty quickly go from robbers to like, hey, we're going to murder this fucking kid. My God. So um, so that's kind of, uh, you know, their evidence and the uh, the theory. What do you think about that one? Oh, my God. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's why when John Hughes construct this like alternate like storyline where the uncle's trying to murder his nephew. <laughs> it, goes from, <laughs> it goes from lighthearted kids film to uh, to jealous murdering uncle. <laughs> hey, look at Buck's girlfriend. Also, my uncle's trying to murder me. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, so two of the uh, two of the more famous. <laughs> Two of the more famous theories are, and I know, I, I'm going to assume you've heard of at least one of these. Do you know the Tommy Westfall, uh, Tommy Westfall theory? Of I don't think I do. Okay, so uh, we talked about Saint Elsewhere, I think last week or the week. Before. Oh, okay, Tommy. That's the kid who uh, who has the snow globe, right? Yeah. So gotcha. yeah, I do know that one. So at the end of this show, Saint Elsewhere, it turns out that. In one of the stupidest, and I like saying elsewhere too, but in one of the stupidest endings of all time, uh, Tommy Westfall, who was played by Chad Allen, actually, um, turns out he has autism and he's got this snow globe. And it turns out that the hospital is this uh, hospital in the snow or this building in the snow globe, and that everything that happened on the show, all the uh, stuff that happened at the hospital, is all in his mind. The problem is. <laughs> is that the producer of the show um, was a pretty 
prolific producer. And Tom Fa- was it Tom Fontana? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I thought he was. No, it was um uh was it Botchko? I think I'm trying to remember. I think it was oh, Steve okay. Botchko. Um, you know what they you know what they should have got? <laughs> they should have got Chong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know, um let me see. Uh See, I think Tom Fontana had something to do with it. He was the guy who was behind the Oz. Oh. Um, let me see. So it was created by Joshua Brand and John Falsley, developed by Mark Tinker and uh, John Massius. I thought there was... Um, I thought there was somebody involved as like an executive producer or something that was one of the bigger ones. I thought like did maybe Stephen Bochco wrote on the show or something like that. Um cuz yeah, like uh cuz they're talking about Hill Street Blues and uh you know, he did that one and ER and Chicago Hope. But anyway, so oh yeah, Tom Fontana was one of the producers of the series. So was Bruce Paltrow, um Gwyneth Paltrow's dad. Oh, okay. I didn't know he was a producer. Yeah, I think he he produced. Um, he was an actor, but he produced uh, and a director, but he produced uh, uh, a decent amount of television in his time. But um, yeah, so unfortunately for the TV universe, uh, several characters from Saint Elsewhere crossed over into other shows, and um, then this this guy it took a long time but started making connections as to different characters in different shows. Like, like Donald Westfall uh, and a couple of the doctors were, uh, were on an episode of Cheers, right? Okay. And so Cheers introduced Frasier Crane, so that gives you Frasier. Um, the guy John Hemingway from the John LaRoquette show called Frasier's Talk Show one time, so you got the John LaRoquette <laughs> show. Um, the John Arquette show once didn't 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 one of the Simpsons call Frazier too? Yeah, yeah, Fuck. that's right. But uh, so you know, you get Firefly in there, um, Red Dwarf, which uh, is a show that I love. It's a BBC show. But basically, you can you know this guy has been able to through references stuff like that link. I love everything from I love Lucy. Law and Order, Murder, She Wrote, Star Trek. Like, almost every television show that has ever existed can somehow be linked together with Sane Elsewhere and, you know, in some kind of six degree of separation type thing. But uh, basically, it means that all those shows are taking place in the head of Tommy Westfall, the autistic boy, at the end of Sane Elsewhere. Well, that's not good. So, it's not... I mean, I guess it's kind of a fan theory. Um, it's more of like... I think it's more of a example of how much people have always kind of loved these shared universe things. Because even creators, because they love crossing stuff over and making references and th- things like that. And I think it's... I think it speaks more to that than anything else where it's like, Hey, if you, if you wanted to, 
you could connect almost every television show in the world to that's ever existed to each other, you know, based on uh, based on different things. Because there's obviously things that contradict that. Like I'm, sh- you know, I haven't done a ton of research on this because I'm, you know, not this guy. And uh, we don't care that much on this podcast, but uh, I'm sure that there are shows like Friends, which is included in this or something. I'm sure someone could find an episode of that show where they're like, oh, you know, we're watching Star Trek or we're talking about Star Trek. So there's no way that Star Trek the show can be a fictional show in the universe, plus also connected in reality to that show. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure there are contradictions all over the place. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you're right. So I think it's more of a uh, example of how much people love to interconnect uh, things like that. Like kind of how the, you know, like all the shared universes, uh, you know, and movies that are coming out now and everything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's I mean, people love the, you know, through line of like a connected universe, but it's not necessarily, you know, at what's happening. The last one that I have, and this one's kind of been, um, kind of been uh, confirmed by Pixar, is the the grand Pixar universe theory. Have you heard this one? I think I have. I'm not sure. Because I mean, you have kids. You've 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 probably seen uh, um, some Pixar movies, right? Some, but they're surprisingly not too big into those movies. Okay. Well, it starts with Brave, the the one that takes place in, uh, like, the 15th century, um, where she, uh, she discovers the magic, and it turns her mom into a bear. Uh, this magic has the power to, you know, uh, make inanimate objects and animals behave like human beings. Um, and there's that witch who vanishes every time she walks through a wooden door. Um, so we go from there to the Incredibles in the 1950s. So like the theory basically is that all Pixar movies take place in the same universe, which is the thing that Pixar is basically kind of confirmed that, uh, yeah, all the movies take place in the same universe. Yeah, I have heard about that. So it's, you know, it's obviously it's not our universe because in the 50s, superheroes didn't actually start to rise. But uh, but they all, you know, are, are in some kind of contained universe. But um, so, you know, superheroes start to ri- rise. Um, Buddy creates that AI uh, robot and uh, zero point energy, electro uh, magnetic energy um, that can exist in a vacuum and all this stuff. And according to the theory, toys start to absorb the powers of the zero-point energy, um, which is how they become sentient in Toy Story. So then, you know, they become sentient. So we've got Toy Story, Toy Story 2. And then in Finding Nemo, we see that animals, uh, maybe because of this magic from Brave, you know, that's like, that's, you know permeating throughout their universe start to become more anthropomorphic and everything that that leads into ratatouille um toy story three uh then in up uh you know we can see more anthropomorphization of animals and stuff with that dog that can speak with the uh the help of that special collar and then it starts to get uh 
super dark because uh, <laughs> we go to cars where um, apparently at some point the animals rose up against the humans in an effort to stop pollution, according to the theory. Uh, and the machines that were also sentient uh, came to the defense of the humans and won the war against the animals, like drove the animals underground. Um, but, uh, you know, since the machines helped win the war, it pushed pollution too far. And uh, B&L, by, by and large, which is the... Uh, the big corporation that is you can see through like all their their um, movies um, shipped the remaining humans off on uh, that ship that we see in Wally, um, and the machines are the only thing left behind to populate the world. So because you can see in cars, and you know this, it makes some sense because you can see man-made structures and man-made things in cars but there are no human beings anywhere. And it's clearly earth, you know, because there's like, there are different canyons and different, um, different landmarks that are clearly, uh, earth, but you know, there are no human beings around. So that's supposedly, uh, like 2,100 to 2,200 or so. And then you've got cars too, which is just a continuation of that. Then you've got Wall-E where it's like the human beings have been gone from earth for so long and then they end up, uh, you know, saving them and everything. I haven't actually watched Wally, but um, I took my 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 oldest to see Wally, and I think she was around three or four. And I, I, you know, I was like, "Oh, Pixar movie, you know, she'll love this." And it's the slowest moving dull <laughs> Pixar movie there is. I mean, the the beginning is styled after two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, which famously starts incredibly slow with no dialogue whatsoever. It's a barber. Yeah, so she was you know too young for that, so she started like crying and wanting to leave. So I ended up seeing, <laughs> I ended up seeing like the first twenty minutes of Wally taking her out and I've never actually gone back and seen it. So you told her you'll be right back. You went home and made a sandwich went to the bathroom. <laughs> and they came back. Yeah, I just left her there. <laughs> and I said, did I miss anything? <laughs> She's boy. Uh, and what I missed was her because someone kidnapped her and I've never seen her since. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. But uh, so anyway, so from there we go to A Bug's Life. Which is where, um, so now the, uh, the, um, like, this is kind of like showing how the bugs are doing in a world without human beings and a world in a world, in a world without human beings. Um, and then we go to Monsters University, which was directed by someone who went to our high school. Did you know that? No, who was it? I think he was a senior when we were freshmen, I want to say. But, um, but yeah. Um, what, what was their name, or do you, do you not want to say? No, I mean, I guess I can say because he, uh, you know, he's out there. Uh, like, I mean, you know, every, anyone that wants to look it up knows that he uh, directed the movie. But his name is Dan Scanlon. Never cared for him. <laughs> I knew his brother Andy, who was a couple years younger, or was, is a couple years younger than him. Um, I knew him. Yeah, I don't know that name. I mean, good for them. I just don't know the name. 
but yeah, he went to our high school and he, uh, he ended up, I think he went to the Rhode Island school of design and stuff like that. Um, and you know, he works for Pixar now, but so he directed monsters university and that's, it's basically just kind of, you know, introducing, um, uh, you know, the monsters and everything. And they say this takes place like around 4,500 to 5,000. Um, and so their, um, their, uh, theory is that monsters are basically, uh, animals that have evolved in the, in the absence of human beings and stuff like that into, you know, what we perceive as monsters. And the thing that links it all back together again is that they use doors to go into the human world and scare people. But the doors, they say, are actually portals to Earth in a different time, which leads us back to Boo, the the girl from the first movie, who is the old woman at the beginning of Brave, the one that uses doors and... um keeps disappearing all the time and in something that's either a giant coincidence or you know or, or because uh pixar loves to do this loves to put little easter eggs into their movies uh in that in this one scene where you see the girl from brave magda i think her name is talking to the old woman you can see that she has a carving a wood carving and uh, the big blue monster Sully from Monsters Inc. is carved into it. Oh, that's weird. So, yeah, kind of like everything kind of fits together as like a big cyclical thing. Now, this was—I don't think this has been—it's hasn't been updated to include some of the other uh, newer movies like um, uh, Finding Dory and. Um, like the good dinosaur and, and stuff like that. But I could see Dan Scanlon would approve. <laughs> but I could see how the good dinosaur could fit in, you know, if if we're predicating that this is a dimension or a universe where dinosaurs didn't actually go extinct and then human beings came along later, I guess, or whatever. I don't know. But uh, you know, I, I would assume that the guy that did it eventually is going to update it for the new uh Pixar movies. And like Inside Out is just kinda like Hey, that just takes place in a normal time. And toys happen to be alive in that movie, even though we see no evidence of it. <laughs> but yeah, so I, that one I think is is pretty interesting. Um, what do you think about the plausibility of that Pixar theory? I mean, I've barely seen any of those movies. My kids, they like a lot of movies, but Pixar, it's not their favorite. Okay. I've seen Brave. I've seen bits and pieces of the Toy Story movies, but not on purpose. We had a book on Monsters, uh, Inc. I didn't see the actual movie, but we read the book. Oh, that's cool. I've read about this theory you're talking about. It sounds plausible. Yeah, it's it's, an, it's definitely an interesting one. I think these can be fun. Uh, you know, have you... I know you've seen Pulp Fiction. Have you ever heard the... Um... The theory that uh, what's in the briefcase is Marcellus Wallace's soul. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, that's one that Quentin Tarantino came out himself and said, no, it's not true. Another, have you seen Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Another theory is that the what's in the briefcase is the diamonds from the heist in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. That seems more plausible to me. Although, 
I just like that, and they never say what it is. That's, in my opinion, the ideal, you know, function of the briefcase. It's a MacGuffin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a complete MacGuffin, and that's what Quentin Tarantino has said. He said he said it doesn't matter what it is. It's a MacGuffin. It's it it doesn't. It makes no difference. He's like uh, one of the uh, production guys thought that uh, it would look better if we added a uh, a yellow light at the bottom. Uh, when they open it up, and I've regretted that decision <laughs> every day of my life since, because uh, he hates all these uh, these theories. Because he said it doesn't matter; it's not the point of the movie. Point of the movie is to yeah. get those guys in that room. So I think that movie is a perfect example of a journey type movie where the journey is more interesting than the goal. Yep, I agree. Like you said, the MacGuffin, it doesn't really matter, but the whole trip to get to the briefcase and see what happens with the briefcase and beyond the briefcase, the whole movie is just like pure storytelling, and it's an amazing Yeah, I agree. And like, there's uh, there's so much f- like philosophy in it and uh, just kind of different ways to think and, and different, um, you know, different... Uh, and there's little touches in the movie that, you know, like every time Vincent goes to the bathroom, something bad happens. Yeah. And I mean, those things I think are are things done on purpose. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the the other one like uh, that I can think of because the the ones I I did already are kind of the ones that I um that I did the research on. on you know, I hadn't heard the the Uncle Frank one at all before. <laughs> but the other one that I can think of is uh, that camera that uh, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off that everything takes place in Cameron's head. Oh, yeah, I've heard that one, too. That's another one where it's like, you know, these theories can be fun, but I I like more the theories that kind of connect with what the the director or the writer of the movie was actually trying to do or say. Yeah, some plausibility is always nice. But, but yeah, I mean, like, I get where that theory is coming from, I just don't think it really has a foothold in reality. No, not really. Oh, so that is our show for tonight. Um, we will end tonight as we end every night with our Norm MacDonald joke of the week. Norm MacDonald joke of the week. You fellas have a lot of growing up to do, I'll tell you that. Ridiculous. Mike, do you have a Norm MacDonald joke that you would like to share with the people? I do, but I don't really want to spoil it. So I'd suggest you search Norm MacDonald, um, Dennis Miller show, Ventriloquist. Oh my God. Yes. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. You mean, uh, <laughs> you mean, uh, Majerison? You mean the guys? Oh, yes. Hey, uh, do you, do you mind if real quick I, I get my movie theory? <laughs> no, yeah, go ahead. All right, this is complete. I have two. One is pretty well established. It's that James Bond is just a code name, and various people play the same person. I, I thought of that years ago, and I've seen a theory online of the same thing. Yeah, makes one. perfect sense to me. Yep. The other one is completely insane, and if you look it up, the more insane it gets. Okay. The, uh, the 1995 Chuck Norris movie, Top Dog, perfectly predicts the Oklahoma City bombing. Wait, what? What is it? What? What? What movie? It's a movie called Top Dog. Top where uh, dog. Chuck, yeah, where Chuck Norris uh, partners with a dog. Oh, okay. 
But the the events in the movie, like a uh, a skinhead attack on a major federal building, are perfectly in sync with the the Oklahoma City bomb. Oh my god! Oh, I will have to look up that one. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's if you the and it's messed up because it it came out a few days after the Oklahoma City bombings. But as anyone knows, to produce a movie, it takes a year or more. Oh yeah. So they were working on this script for over a year, and then it happens like nine days after the actual bombings. Oh, that is crazy! And the real, uh, the real, the real crux of the uh, theory is that Chuck Norris is from Oklahoma. Wow, <laughs> it's it's fun. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna read that one uh, today. My, uh, and oh, every, I, everyone go I mean check it. out that Norm Macdonald. Uh, oh, oh, that's yours. Yeah, I made it up, but it makes sense. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch that movie. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's back, a really bad movie. Back in the oh, really? Is it is it worse than Turner and Hooch or Canine? Oh, it's a lot worse. When you when you were saying that Jim Belushi is a superior actor, it's a bad movie. That's so weird to me how Hollywood does that shit. Where um. You know, something comes out and they're like, oh, you know, they always get the wrong message. Oh, this this was popular, so this is what we're going to go with. That We had a rash of cops partnered with dogs in movies <laughs> for some reason in the late 80s and early 90s. Why? Why did more than one movie company say that's a good idea? Why did one? Oh, my God. But uh, everyone check out that Norm MacDonald uh, joke. Norm MacDonald, uh, you- ventriloquist. And, and uh and Dennis Miller or yeah Dennis yeah Dennis Miller it is uh, do you have a uh, Norm McDonald <laughs> yeah I got uh my famous Dennis Miller impression <laughs> <laughs> I'm you can you can see me bobbing my head right now <laughs> do you have a Norm okay. McDonald joke though yeah I got one now uh, that I like a lot um hey babe I was in Bordello of Blood <laughs> Sadly, the least of the uh, Tales from the Crypt horror movies. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, my, my Norm MacDonald joke, I like this one a lot. Um, they say that if you're afraid of homosexuals, it means that deep down inside you're actually a homosexual yourself. That worries me because I'm afraid of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Norm's- oh, oh on, a, on another note... um. I don't know if you heard the news say, but Whitey Bulger uh, was murdered in prison. I heard, yeah. Yeah, I guess he was f- formally accused of uh, killing 11 people, and he basically ran the uh, Boston Organized Crime or- Organization during, like, you know, the 70s, 80s, that sort of time. Mm-hmm. He became an informer, and I think he was the inspiration for the movie um, The Departed. The Departed, yeah. I, I mean, this guy was a real jerk. Another <laughs> 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 great Normanism. My favorite one, because he does that a few different times. My favorite one is when he goes into uh, just a long, uh, a long story about Albert Fish. Yeah, that's good. And he was great, not only in his uh, attire, but also his demeanor. And the thing is, is like, uh, I can't remember who was on the show, but he's like, um, 
He's like, oh, oh, that Albert Fish. It's like once he does the punchline, he's like, oh, that guy wasn't real. I would have heard about that. But he was totally real. And <laughs> if you ever, if you don't want to sleep at night, read about <laughs> Albert Fish and what he did. He was a fucking monster. Like one of the worst <laughs> serial killers ever who who murdered and ate children. And uh, and wrote notes, a real jerk. <laughs> wrote notes to their parents and everything. But it's just like <laughs> he goes into this just like lurid description <laughs> of stuff that Albert Fish did, which is just monstrous. And then punctuates by saying, I mean, this guy's a real jerk. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Canadian guy, too, he did that about. I can't remember what his name was. John oh, Boutros, maybe? Yeah, the one that, uh, that cut off his... Uh, his lover's penis and like killed him and ate oh, him. No, that, that, no, that's a different Canadian murder. This one, he, he like he killed all these people. Then he like he like on his uh, when he was in the electric chair or something. He said he only wished his hands were big enough to choke the rest of humanity. Oh my god! I mean, a real jerk. <laughs> that guy is a real jerk. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, well that is our show for tonight. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, again, you can find us uh, at Massive Late Fee on Twitter, Massive Late Fee on Facebook, and Massive Late Fee at gmail.com if you want to send us a uh, note, some hate mail, or some love. Uh, you got anyone? Oh, wait, 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 wait. You said we had a letter, right? Oh, yeah, that's right, the letter. Um, it's not from those fucking Scandinavians, is it? <laughs> no, no, but. Uh, but I thought it was nice, and let me just pull it up real quick. I thought it was nice. Uh, it was some some good mail, and I wanted to uh, to give some credit. So this, hold on one second, because I forget the guy's name too. I gotta get to Gmail. Do you want to shout out anybody while I'm uh, wasting everyone's time? Yeah, I'll give a shout out to uh, my friend Rob Towell, the uh, first backer of the new Savage Rolls uh, Deluxe Edition. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, America's sweetheart's uh, sweetheart Ted McGinley. That's right. If anyone's looking for a high quality tattoo, look up Phil James, my good friend. He's an amazing artist, and he'll uh, hook you up. Sounds good. Um. Okay, this is from George Perry, and he says, uh, found your show because of uh, Norm MacDonald and Reddit. Well, we put our, our, we put our stuff on Reddit, on Norm MacDonald's uh, Reddit. And, uh, yeah, people, uh, it was a very uh, good, um, very good uh, experience there. Very good uh, outpouring of love from uh, Norm MacDonald. Is it a Trumpism? Very good. Very good experience. <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. But uh, anyway, so he says, I found <laughs> due to um, uh, Norm MacDonald and uh, Reddit, I just want to say you guys rock. I don't really l- listen to podcasts that much, but I love your podcast. Keep up the good work. I'll be tuning in next week. So thank you uh, for that, Mr. Perry. Uh, and, and like I said, anyone that wants to, uh, send us any, uh, any mail, you know, I'll read stuff on the air, uh, Michigan. No Swedes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No Swedes though. 
michigansportsandentertainment.com. Uh, shout out to uh, Jason for uh, doing our theme song. Um, like I said, we'll probably, uh, you know, rotate a little bit, uh, you know, as we get the chance to do that. But uh, thanks, everyone, for watching, and uh, we'll see you next time. Happy Halloween.